Youth pastors love to preach. Boy, howdy do we. We dream of preaching. Every chance we get, whether we have plans or not, we change them. Because getting to preach is a big deal. Think about it. It's a youth pastor's fantasy gig. Instead of talking to 12 or 20 people, there are like 100 of you. And you all are nice, too. You all interrupt. You all laugh at my jokes. None of you are doing this. So when the pastor asks you to preach, it's like the happiest day of your life. It's like you're being proposed to. Your pastor's like, so Don and I are going to be gone on June the 11th with you. And you're like, yes, yes. A hundred times yes. I thought you'd never ask. It's usually two times a year. The Sunday after Easter and the Sunday after Christmas. Those Sundays we lovingly refer to as International Let the Youth Pastor Preach Sunday. And we United Methodist Youth Pastors also get the week of annual conference. It's great for youth pastors too. Because you get to think about your sermon for months. A senior pastor wakes up Monday morning, looks at the lectionary passages and asks, What am I going to tell them this week? Then he has five days to put a message together with stories and illustrations that he's not used in the other 30 messages he's already preached this year. The youth pastor gets to marinate in the message. He gets to store up illustrations for months. He gets to read multiple books on his topic. I mean good books too. The books on the youth pastor's shelf all have names like 101 Wacky Games with Pull Noodles or How to Get Wax Stains Out of the Parlor Room Carpet. It involves an ironing a paper towel in case you're curious. But when the youth pastor preaches, he gets to go to the church library and get books off the big boy shelf. Books with titles like the Eschatological Dimensions of Hats in Early United Methodist History, Volume 1. Oh, we get those books down and we pretend we're wise and learned pastors preparing great oratory. I tell you all of this because I want you to understand how crazy excited I am to be here right now. But I also want you to understand that you can take that excitement and double it because this week our lectionary passage is the Great Commission. Score. This is one of the big ones. You see, this passage, this reading, is the blueprint of what it means for us to be a church. What we are to be and do in the world. It's the very DNA of who we are as the body of Christ. When your senior pastor leaves you to preach the Great Commission, it's like he's giving you the keys to the Lamborghini and said, don't take it below 70 miles per hour. Everything in me wants to preach the Great Commission. Everything in me wants to challenge you to go make disciples. Like, I want you to leave this building so fired up, you're just smashing the stained glass windows and jumping out. Because you don't want to waste the time it takes to get to the door and shake my hand. Like, revivals break out when the Great Commission is preached. I'm bursting at the seams to preach this. And yet, and yet... Before we can get to the good part, we have this one thing we have to get through. 
You see, before we can get to the life-changing words in Matthew 28, 18-20, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before we can talk about that, we have to deal with the weirdness of verses 16 and 17. Look at this with me. Matthew 28, 16 through 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Let that sink in for a second. Some doubted. What? Think about this with me. Think about who we are talking about. We aren't talking about the crowd that showed up whenever Jesus rolled into town. We aren't even talking about the 100 or so disciples that Jesus took with them everywhere. These are the 11. This is the JV team. This is the starting lineup. These are the guys that have been with Jesus through thick and thin. They have heard all the teachings. They have seen all the miracles. Not only that, think about this. They have felt the power of God coursing through their own hands as they drove out demons in the name of Jesus. They've seen the calming of the storm, the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus, and now here they are standing in the presence of the resurrected Christ, and some of them doubted. Is it Thaddeus standing there with his arms crossed saying, I'm still not convinced. What's going on? What more do these people need? This makes no sense. Well, it turns out those books on the big boy shelf in the library have some pretty useful information that might just help us get to the bottom of all of this. Get this. The word in the New Testament most often translated into doubt is diacrino. Diacrino is, it means submit to questioning or judgment. Diacrino is most of us think about when we think about the word doubt. It's an intellectual thing. We're taking a belief and we're examining it. Maybe even interrogating it. Diacrino is when you read The God Delusion and think, this Richard Dawkins guy, he's got some pretty compelling arguments. Maybe I don't believe in God after all. It's up here, see? It's a diacrino, to judge between. But that's not the word Matthew uses in this passage. The word Matthew uses is only used twice in the whole New Testament. It's distazo. Distazo literally means to be in two places. Distazo means wavering. It means I'm sure, but I'm not sure. It's second thoughts. It's cold feet. It's that feeling you get when the chain is pulling your car up the first hill of a roller coaster. It's, maybe this isn't such a good idea after all. See, distazo is right here. Diacrino is an intellectual process. Distazo is a way you feel when you get up in the morning. The only other time the New Testament uses the word distazo is in Matthew 14 when Peter walks on water. Remember? 
The disciples are in the boat and they see Jesus coming on the waves. Peter stands up and says, Lord, because you command me to walk on the water. And Jesus says, come. And he does it. He walks on the water. He feels the water molecules firm up beneath his feet. And he walks toward Jesus. But then what happens? He starts to drown. Something inside of him says, this is not right. Coyotes don't just run off cliffs and keep running. This makes no sense. And begins to drown and he cries, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches and pulls him back up. Remember, what does he say? You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you experience distazo? Why did you waver? I wonder if this morning some of us aren't wavering. I wonder if like the disciples gathered on a mountain in Galilee, standing before the resurrected Christ, some of us aren't worshiping and some of us aren't wavering. Is that you this morning? Did you wake up with a bad case of the distazo? Are you in two places right now? Is there something going on in your life that is gnawing at you and distracting you? Most of you know that my daughter, Nora Grace, is the proud owner of a Russian tortoise named Sheldon. Our whole family loves Sheldon. Tortoises, by the way, are like the perfect pet. They stay in their little terrariums. They, uh, they don't shed or chew on shoes. A bag of spring mix salad can feed them for like a week. So when Nora wanted a tortoise, I was all for it. The one thing I was surprised by, though, was, was how active they are. See, in my mind, the tortoise was going to be a pretty boring pet, basically like a rock you have to feed. And uh, I was really surprised by, by Sheldon has a pretty active lifestyle. He takes a swim every day in his little tortoise pool. He eats. He spends time napping on a warm rock. Admit it, who here is seriously wishing there were a tortoise right now? This is not to say Sheldon doesn't have any goals. He does. One goal in particular consumed most of this time. See, uh, next picture. All right. See, Sheldon lives on this, uh, rests on this rock next to his little house. Every day, several times a day, he makes it his mission to get himself from that rock to the top of the house. On Monday, I spent the better part of an afternoon sitting at the table next to Sheldon's terrarium, reading and working on this sermon. And I watched several times as Sheldon tried and failed to get to the top of his house. He, so he could lay on the roof and sunbathe. Each adventure would take him about a half an hour. He would work up the nerve to get, to get on his rock, and then he would pull himself up toward the roof. A lizard could do it easily, but Sheldon is carrying this heavy shell. Sheldon would get himself halfway up, and then he'd be stuck. He'd be in this halfway place between the roof and the rock, not wanting to fall, but not quite able to make it to the top. Trying to pull himself high enough that when he starts to tip, he'll tip forward. But inevitably, after about ten minutes in this state, I'd hear a thump. I know, poor little guy. But he always flips himself right side up, takes, ten, takes a ten-minute nap, and then tries all over again. This is his afternoon 
over and over. He's like Sisyphus pushing that rock up the hill. I think a lot of us can relate to this. We're here. We want to be worshiping. But like Sheldon, we're stuck halfway between where we know we need to be and where we've been. We're wavering. We're in two places. We feel unsure of ourselves and we feel stuck. Is that you? Is the burden on your back too heavy? Do you not quite have the strength? Are you paralyzed by the thought of the humiliation that might come with your failure? Did you come here to worship this morning, but deep down you know you're wavering? Hear the good news. Jesus is here. He's looking at you and he's saying, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. You see, Jesus came to all eleven and he commissioned them and he sent them wherever they, whether they were worshiping or whether they were wavering. This morning, maybe you woke up with all your ducks in a row. Some mornings I do. I, I wake up on Sunday morning exciting. I'm, I'm singing praise songs in the shower. I have church like three times before I get here. Or maybe you came here this morning dragging your big heavy shell. You're of two minds about this whole God thing. Just barely holding on. That's me some mornings too. Guess what? Whether you're here worshiping or whether you're here wavering, Jesus is here working. He's here calling you. He's sending you to a world that is hurting and dying in His name to go make disciples. Some of us think we have to get our act together and figure ourselves out before God can use us. We get on Facebook and and we see all the pretty happy God warriors out there slaying it every day with a big smile on their face and think, I'm just not ready yet. God can't use me to make disciples. Sometimes I'm barely a disciple myself. So we think that Great Commission stuff is for people who really have it figured out. Who really know what they're doing. It's not for me. But on the mountain, Jesus didn't divide the disciples into two groups. He didn't say, waverers, go home and get your act together and worshipers come with me. I've got something to tell you. No, he gave them all his authority to go make disciples and he promised them all his presence. God's mission is too urgent to wait on us to get our act together. It's go time. The call for followers of Jesus to go in the world and make more followers of Jesus cannot wait on us to suddenly feel ready and up to the task. As Swiss theologian Heinrich Brunner puts it, the church exists by mission as the fire exists by burning. It's what we do. It's what we're here for. Whether it's in El Salvador, Cherokee, North Carolina, Marion, Virginia, or, or Rustic Village, we're called to go and make disciples whether we feel able or not. Whether we feel ready or not. Whether we've got it together or not. Whether we're ordained or paid church staff or a happy volunteer. Whether we're 9 or 90, rich, poor, male, female, red and yellow, black and white. If you are here, Jesus is sending you out there. It's time to stop wavering. Pastor Ryan Leake has observed that only 8% of Jesus' miracles were performed in the synagogue. Think about that for a second. Only 8% of Jesus' miracles were performed in the synagogue. 
That means that 92% of what Jesus is doing in the world is taking place outside the four walls where the faithful are gathered. And Jesus is commanding us to go out there and meet him. So today, this morning, Jesus looks at us and commissions us, his wavering disciples. And he tells us the one thing we need to hear most. The only thing that can get us unstuck. The words our soul needs to overcome this weakness and wavering. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's all we need to know. That's all we need to believe. That's all we need to trust to get ourselves from wavering to worship. From in here to out there. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with you. See, the Gospel of Matthew ends exactly where it begins. With the proclamation that Jesus is Emmanuel. The God who is with us. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Carry that promise. Wear that promise. Believe that promise. And you will go make disciples. If you are wavering this morning, if your ducks aren't in a row, if you're struggling just to drag yourself in here and wonder if you could ever make a difference out there, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember what Paul said to the Romans. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember. Have you forgotten? Is that why you waver? Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Jewish writer and philosopher Martin Buber tells the story of his grandfather. You see, his grandfather was lame. He was consigned to his bed and he hadn't moved in years. But he was a devout believer and he had trained under a Hasidic rabbi. Martin Buber says that one day a family member... um, asked the grandfather to describe the man who he had trained under so many years ago. And so Martin Buber's grandfather was describing how the rabbi would jump and dance as he prayed. When he was telling the story, he was so caught up in the memory that he began to leap and twirl himself as he described the way his mentor had. And from that day on, Martin Buber's grandfather was no longer lame. What power remembering has. What power telling our story has. I truly believe that when we remember, when we remember Christ is present with us, that will truly move us from wavering to worship. From in here to out there. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I was sitting there writing this sermon at the table while Sheldon kept getting stuck and falling down on his shell. And so I snapped those pictures I showed you earlier. Because I wanted to illustrate our hopeless condition, you know, the insanity of repeating the same thing over and over, expecting different results, all that. I was going to tell you not to be a Sheldon. 
Only here's the thing. I got done writing all that. Then I turned and looked at Shogun's terrarium and this is what I saw. He did it! Like in my head, Eye of the Tiger was playing. I don't know how. I don't know when. But he did it. When no one was watching. He got over the fear of humiliation and remembered something in that tiny little reptile brain of his. Something important. He remembered that he'd been here before. That he'd done this before. And he mustered enough strength, enough courage, and he pulled himself just high enough that he tipped the balance. He stopped wavering and he went. Church, we've been here before. We've done this before. And now it's time to stop wavering and go. Remember, Jesus was there then 2,000 years ago and he's here now. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. And remember, he is with us always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.